Welcome to The Adapter's Advantage, the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from Alego, the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world. Let's dive right in. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome back to the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Rob Salafia as our, our next guest. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to give you a little background on Rob. Rob is an authority on executive presence and transformative learning experience. He's a lecturer at MIT's Sloan School of Management, an MIT leadership master executive coach, and the author of a new book called Leading from Your Best Self, Develop Your Executive Poise, Presence, and Influence to Maximize Your Potential. I told Rob that book just made it to my nightstand, so I'm looking forward to, to diving in. Uh, what's unique about Rob is that for the first half of his career, he was a performing artist where he traveled the globe delivering his unique one-person variety show. He's an accomplished tap dancer, rope and wire walker, and storyteller. He now takes his finely honed stage and audience connection skills to business leaders to help them enhance their presence, uh, connect authentically with others, and create momentum behind their ideas by becoming great storytellers. And now that I may have conjured the image in your mind of the wire, please join me in welcoming Rob Salafia. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, real excited to jump into our conversation, Rob. So many things to talk about. But given what I've just said, uh, when you meet people and, and they may have heard about your background, everything from tap dancing to wire walking, uh, and they say, you know, what do you do? What do you say now? Well, usually I just say I, I, I develop talent. Uh, uh, my clients like to, people I work with, like to think of me as a catalyst for transformation. So as an executive coach, I do that one-on-one. -on -one. I can do it by leading and facilitating transformational uh, experiential learning programs um, and in a number of different ways. So um, that usually opens up a good conversation. Yeah, it's a, it's a great start. And I realize you don't want to, you don't want to overwhelm them with too much of the things from the, from the much farther past. But um, I am curious, just in terms of the start of your career and, and understanding a little bit more about the journey, um, what did get you started um, on this journey and get interested in some of these, uh, some of these performance arts that are somewhat unusual for people in the business realm? Well, it's interesting. I have, I have had a non-traditional, non-linear career trajectory. So when I was in college, I was a, a geographer, international development, ended up in Nepal for a semester of school. Um, and it was 1975. It was a very interesting time. And I think uh, towards the end, I was there for four months, uh, right at the end of the very tumultuous and cathartic sort of experience I had there, I went to a week-long uh, mindfulness meditation retreat. It's like 1975. Nice. So it, I was searching for something. And, and um, I think when I came home, I had a little bit of a, a values conflict uh, and wanted to settle into something that was a little bit more holistic. And so I ended up taking a left-hand turn into theater. 
street theater, became an, a, a juggler, I, I had a partner, we had an act, and, and it just kept developing. I went to theater school, went to mime school. Uh, I continued to hone my crafts and tap dancing, I'd say, uh, wire walking, uh, storytelling. By, by the way, I have to just ask, where do you learn wire walking? How so, do you, is there a class for that? Well, it, it's really funny. The, the way we learn in theater is sort of the apprentice model. And that's exactly how I learned tap dancing. And it's exactly how I learned wire walking. Uh, I think it was 1985, a few years, uh, years later, I was cast in a show in Boston mm -hmm. called Clown Alley. I was the lead or one of the lead uh, performers. Uh, the the uh, director of the show, who subsequently became a very good friend of mine, Bill Finley, uh, said, I've always, he, used to, he was a wire walker and, uh, for a couple of years in circus, and it was one of the things that theme he always brought into theater. He said, I've always wanted to bring it into a musical, because that's what this was. He said, if you learn it, I'll put it in. He didn't oh. have to ask me twice. <laughs> I was living in a loft in South Boston and I had, you know, big poles, you know, it was like a, you know, real uh, uh, loft style building. I strung a wire up and I, I just, I knew what I had. I had a goal and I knew what I needed to do. I ate breakfast on it. I read books on it. I lied down and tried to Wow. And I, you know, just, you know. Did you have like mattresses underneath it or something? Two and a half feet off the ground, that's where you learn. God. And when you go up a little bit higher, it gets a little bit more uh, uh, tenuous. But um, I just, you know, it's one of those things where the offer was there and he taught me. And so uh, it got ingrained. So that apprentice style of learning is, is, uh, is uh, part and parcel of, of the world of theater and performing arts. You know, it's such a great point, Rob, because uh, we actually have... Uh just had a new book come out called Mastering Virtual Selling, which I, I shared with you. And we yep. speak at great length about the concept of apprenticeship versus the notion of mastery. And, and we're taking it from the performing arts world. And you know, you think about what happened with COVID and, and the whole pandemic, so many of us who had been 20, 30, 40 years in some cases in the world of selling were basically thrust back to being apprentices again in something new which was the virtual realm. And for many of us, it's not that we hadn't done it at all. It's just that it wasn't the coin of the realm in, in our world, right? So, you know, you think about this, this constant effort, almost like you learning a new skill from tap dancing to wire walking, the whole world had to go from um, being a, an apprentice and now getting back on the journey towards mastery. So I, I think there's a lot with uh, what you're describing and then, I'm curious, just as we move forward, who influenced you or at what point did you realize from, from being a street performer that, hey, wait a minute, um, I may want to go in a different direction such that you end up at really one of the most prestigious universities in the world at MIT uh, teaching executives? It's interesting, as I said, uh, non-linear. So I had a number of transitions. So 15 years in theater, and I, I accomplished quite a bit. I traveled all over North America, all over Canada, doing uh, different festivals, uh, made it to Japan, uh, Europe. It was really a, a, a good experience. But at 35, I'm looking and say, I didn't have any money in the bank. I didn't have a family or a girlfriend. And I went, 
yeah, I think I, I think I need to do something different. And it's been, a, it's been a good run, but I got to get on a different. Yeah, path, right? I, I think I have to put it together. Yeah. And so um, I ended up hiring a career consultant, mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because I never thought about my career. You know, I just I was a career in the theater, but as I've always had good tendencies to business, and so when I hired this, you know, this company, it clicked right away. This mm -hmm. idea of transferable skills, this idea of, of leveraging your relationships, it just clicked. Yeah. I ended up working for them for nine months. I turned it right around. Wow. And I learned I had a knack for it. And then I met up with a friend of mine from Boston University, uh, my friend Larry, who I went to college with. And he runs a program uh, at Boston University. Uh, Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. He helps people with disabilities get back to work. Okay. And so I'm meeting with him and his, his job developer had just passed away and he was in need. And I said, Larry, I've been doing this for, you know, the past nine months. Um, I really get it. Yep. And I saw the opportunity. I saw the door open up. He hired me. We worked together for five years. I, I learned uh, clinical and counseling skills. I became a rehab counselor, trained. Uh, I got my master's in business. I went right to work at it. And I started to teach corporate training classes through the personnel office at BU across campus. Wow. So I, it was like I put 15 years of career development in five years. Let's pivot now to, to what you've learned as you moved forward from Boston University. What have you learned in your role as a leadership coach at MIT's Sloan School about this idea of adaptability, particularly over the work you've done over the last year, year and a half or so? So let's, let's there's a couple of different pieces in this. Uh, and I think there, there are lessons to be learned in each sort of, sort of uh, area that I spent time in, you know, in each of these quadrants. Like in, in uh, performing, I had to learn how to gather an audience. And I would see these groups have, have 300 people around them. And I would look and go, how did they do that? I would get right. 17 and like the wind, they'd be gone. Right. And so- Wait, man, I, I gotta just stop here, Rob. Like, this is so great. I never, until you just said it, I never realized what I'll call the prospecting part. Of oh, being it's a huge. Because you could be a great performer, but if you don't have that electricity to attract people, well, uh, here's, and, and the crowd attracts a bigger crowd, right? Exactly. So what I learned is I had to make myself interesting. And by making myself interesting, what I meant is I had to become interested in my audience. Mm. That's what it meant. So I would, you know, a couple of people around, I'd just be setting up. I'd take somebody's hand. I'd teach them how to do a bow. I'd get I'd let people to applaud. All of a sudden, people on the edges would see something's happening. All of a sudden, a crowd, an audience would begin to build. Yeah. You have to make a crowd into an audience. So you have to create a safe space. You have to be tuned into the energy around, around you. I could tell, you know, after a number of years, I got really good at this. And I could tell in just a little bit of movement what was happening. I put my attention to that part of the audience. Ah, and ah. Them, always moving them in closer, always moving them in closer, always moving them in closer. And it, in the uh, introduction of my book, I describe one moment when it, it's interesting because when I first started, I would try and cajole my audience to like me. Mm -hmm. And that never worked. 
is you have to be relaxed. They have to feel like you know you're in control. Yeah. And that I, you're going to take them on a journey. So I remember this one time I, I, I was bending down. I lifted my hat up, my top hat, and I felt something fall away, Mark. It was, I just felt this, this thing I was carrying fall away. And I look up and I see this little two-year-old girl in a you know, pink princess outfit with a balloon tied to her wrist, you know, that went up in the air. And she just walked right into the circle of the show. The whole audience, boom, looking directly at her. Yeah. They're not looking at me anymore. Yeah. Yep. So in theater, right? You follow where the attention goes. Totally. So I walked up to her just very quietly, put one finger under each arm, lifted the arms up, and I went, ta-da. The whole audience applauded. I was able to turn the little girl, brought her back to her parents, and then ingratiated, you know. They, they were able to see a quality that came out of me and that's what they appreciate. So it's the same thing in at BU, what I learned working with people with disabilities is you have to give them your eyes. You have to be fully present with them mm. because they, they're highly sensitive. And so that's something that I, I had to learn and develop. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about someone else, right? So it wasn't, and you know, in theater, a, my approach to theater too is the same thing. It wasn't about me. It, was, it wasn't the skill. I had a lot of skills, but it was the experience I was trying to create for my audience. That's what I became skilled at. Rob, let me just come back. I want to pick it up uh, on a question that I had for you regarding what you learned in your role as a leadership coach at MIT's Sloan School of Business. Uh, in particular about adaptability and, and to what extent our listeners can apply some of the lessons you learned at MIT? Sure. The, um, I guess it was uh, in March you know, 2020. Um, I have, at MIT, I'm an executive coach, so I coach and I do, do a, a one-on-one coaching, but I also deliver uh, short programs as well. And so I get a call from the director of the program, the, of the Leadership Center. I said, Rob, every, everything's gone uh, virtual, you know, the whole program. Uh, could you take your, you know, your three-hour class and could you convert that to a virtual offering? And I had been kind of like moving in this direction, but I needed sort of a spark or you know, sure. a catalyst to like, like really move me. And without hesitation, I just said, of course, of course I'll do that. You know, am I going to say no? No, of course you can say yes. And within two weeks, I had three two-hour programs, and I just embraced the change. I said, this is the where it's going. I want to be on that edge. And, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's, it's, it's like you do whatever you can. I have that, you know, yes mindset, and we'll yeah, figure well it out. And it's so, so clear, it's so clear that, you know, just that how that mindset causes people to um, make a good call at a time like March of 2020. Yeah. And so I know a number of people, you know, in a similar position that didn't make the jump. You know, it's like, you know, well, you know, because if you look at theater, uh, it, when I learned how to use uh, theater based methodology, or corporate learning. Uh, a lot of the um, programs that I was teaching at the time before I, I started my own company, uh, 
people would be teaching the programs and they would say, this, is, this can only happen in person. Mm -hmm. You can't do executive presence. You can't do theater-based programming you know, virtually. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So there was always like a little bit of a closed mindset. And this goes, I think, also to the, to the point of, you talked about this balance of arts and business. You know, can they coexist with, without um, destroying each other? Right. You know, without having, you know, the purity of the arts. Well, I definitely think you can. When I, uh, I, I was coming out of Boston University and uh, I don't know how I did it, but I found this company that used theater-based methodology to teach corporate learning, storytelling and presence skills. And uh, I negotiated with them and I became I came into the company. So they had about 50 certified facilitators, you know, external to the company. But I went into the company and I came as an account executive. So I ended up being what they call, would call a triple threat. I sold it, I taught it, I could design it. Wow, and yeah, so that's... Right, so that's not, you know, usually they have, okay, here's the sales team, here's right. the design team, here are the facilitators, you stay in your box. Yeah. But, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with that. Up until that point, they would hire, uh, they, they would bring in uh, a, a, one of their seasoned facilitators and say, could you manage these accounts? And they tried about five or six of them, and none of them could manage both the facilitation in the classroom and the relationship with the client and everything yeah. that had to do with that. That yeah. came naturally to me. I actually wanted to do that because I felt as though if I knew my client well, I'm going to be better in the classroom because I'm going, to be, is, I'm going to be able to tailor my language. I'm going to be able to carve those lessons in to the client that's sitting in the room at that time and, and what they need. So let's pivot to your new book called Leading right. from Your Best Self. Uh, what, what inspired you to write it and, and what was the process you used to get it done? So thanks. Um, I'm meeting with this fellow, Fred, who is an executive director of the CEO Club of Boston here. And I'm trying to bring, have him bring me in as a speaker. And he goes, Rob, I love your stuff, but I can't bring you in. I said, how come, Fred? He goes, I only bring in people with books. I don't have one. He goes, I know. And he wrote down <laughs> this name. He goes, here, yeah, call this guy. He helps people write them and get them published. And I hadn't really thought about writing a book. You know, it's, I never thought I had the time to write a book. Mm -hmm. I met with this fellow, Ken, uh, in Concord, and uh, Concord, Mass. And um, we totally hit it off. He said, you have a book here. I've been in the business 40 years. You have a neat, unique background. You've taken all the lessons. You, you can apply it directly to leaders. You've been coaching in, in, the, in the business world now for a number of years. You have a book here. So I've learned, Mark, when the bus pulls up in front of your house and the driver opens the door and waves you on, I've learned finally how to get on the bus. Yeah. And so I hired him. And you have to do that. You have to hire because publishing industry has totally been transformed. It's sure. not what it was before. Yeah. And so... Uh, we wrote, a, yeah, he, he had connections with, with publishers. So we, we wrote a, 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 a synopsis, a table of contents. Now that, if for anyone that's interested in writing a book, a table of contents is the most important. He said, write three different versions. I struggled on the first one, kind of struggled on the, on the second one, 
And then I threw caution to the wind and created this interesting format. And that's the one he liked. Got it. And so it's just organizing your thoughts. Then I hired his, or rather first then, um, then we put it out. Four weeks later, we get a call from McGraw-Hill. And this woman gets on the phone. She's 26 years old, editor. She goes, I love the idea of this book. I'm a tap dancer in New York City. I'm in a dance company. I teach yoga and mindfulness. I love the arts in business. Wow. Let's do this. I mean, you can't make that up. No, no. But, to, but you know, Rob, what's so beautiful about it, and it's not a surprise to me. Uh, I love the Mark Twain quote, you know, coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. You know, like, <laughs> I just love that. So, yeah, you know, when that kind of, of all of the people who could have picked up that proposal, right? To have someone who has that background and who could appreciate the dynamic versus literally, there could have been a hundred other people looked at it like, there's nothing here. Right, that's right. Oh, so, well. So I ended, up, I ended up hiring uh, uh, Ken's editor and I bought a laptop. I carried it with me everywhere. Doctor's office had the laptop. I would open it up and I would just continue writing. I would just, I just, I just kitchen, I wrote it on the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. said, and so, and, um, and, uh, and I had someone, it's always good to have an outside eye. So um, uh, Mark Zegans, he's a, uh, used to be at Harvard and ran one of the little nonprofits there. Uh, he's now on the, on the West Coast and he helps artists develop into mm -hmm. great artists and business people. And he's a fantastic consultant, very busy. I said, if you have a chance, re read my book. And he gave me two days and he read the whole thing through and he commented paragraph to paragraph. He said, if you can switch this one, switch that, it's, it, you can, and if you reduce the book 20 to 25%, it'll go from a good book to a great book. Wow. But he gave such pointed and, and excellent feedback um, that, really informed the book and, and brought it to a different level. So that made all the difference for me. What's your experience in terms of what makes a partnership work versus when it doesn't work? So uh, right now, I'm actually just, I, I think mm, 30 minutes before our call, I launched my, my first really full length virtual program. Mm -hmm. And it was for uh, Publicis Sapiens. And as a fellow there that I've been working, uh, we've been working hand in glove on, uh, I had delivered a couple of programs for them. They were in person and he wanted to, he wanted to build out something that was more sustainable. Mm -hmm. So we ended up creating, and, and we worked together uh, and, and having somebody that you can share ideas with that you don't feel like, oh, that's the client. No, we were partners. We were like, he totally got me. He believed in me. He uh, experienced my work firsthand. And so that made all the difference. And so it's that relationship that matters. So now we're, it's almost like we're collaborators. That's great. We created this four module program for 10, uh, 10 of their senior uh, product leads. And we had individual coaching in between. This was like the best program, live program model that I ever came up with. And then COVID hit. And then I had to reimagine it again. So I put them into half day virtual sessions and kept the one-on-one -on -one coaching. We delivered that and it rocked. Wow. And then I wanted to take it to that next step. Now working with Alego as a video review and collaboration tool. 
uh, is a great platform. So to be able to have these uh, virtual uh, live sessions uh, every, let's say three weeks, and then some connective tissue. They have to create videos. They have to upload the videos mm -hmm. onto a Lego. They have to comment on each other's videos. Um, they'll do, rather than writing reflections, they'll do video reflections. And they put that out and all of a sudden it becomes a repository for continual learning and for community and for development so that a 16 week course is created. But I did that in partnership. I did that in partnership with my client and now I'm doing it in partnership with a Lego. Rob, last question is, as we get ready to wrap up here, based on your experience all the way from the performing arts uh, in, in, in street theater, all the way through to MIT, what would you say is the most important skill that you think people need to learn or improve today? No, it's a great question. I thought about this too. Um, it's really important to be fully present. Like we were talking about uh, before, um, give people your eyes, be fully present with them. I would think the next one is see the best in others, recognize and develop talent. Uh, and, and that sense of collaboration and partnership will come out. And then also as a leader, creating a conducive and safe environment, you know, environment of psychological safety. And that you do that through your presence, mm. through, your, through your openness. And I was on a coaching call this morning with a woman who's just breaking through in this area. And she said her team feels, they've made a jump from feeling fearful of contributing and having sharing their voice in the room to mm -hmm. feeling free to share their voice in the room. And he said, she said, it's, it's instead of having these uh, isolated individuals, they're pulling together and taking ownership of their collective experience. And they're starting to work on it together. But I think that psychological safety and creating that energized, conducive environment. Because if you think there's a difference between charisma and really strong, authentic presence. The charismatic leader is the one that comes in, meeting with the team, everybody's energized. It's like, oh, I got to go. I'll see you later. Keep, the, keep up the good work. Right. And when he leaves or she leaves, right. all the energy goes out the room with them. Yeah. Yep. But leaders that understand uh, how to energize a group and empower a group, when they leave, the energy stays in the room. The people feel connected and, they, and that, that's where the magic lies. If people want to learn more about you and some of the consulting services, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, a couple of ways. They can email me, robsalafia at protagonistconsulting.com. They can go to my website and there's a really cool new video, uh, Sizzle Reel. As soon as you get there, protagonistconsulting.com. I know you'll love it, whoever watches it. It's great. And um, uh, yeah, so those are the, those are the two ways. My phone number, you know, 617-803-2671. Great. Well, Rob, you just, you just, you just did that thing from the all street performing days. You just gave me enough in the, in your communication and it caused me now I got to go check out the system reel. So <laughs> with that, listen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure to get to know you better. 
and um, really excited for the work that you're doing and look forward to continuing the conversation. Sounds great, Mark. Thank you very much for the conversation. You've been listening to The Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from Alego. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment and sharing episodes you love. That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.